This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Good morning. I'm Roshan Kanesan and welcome to the all-new Resource Centre, your one-stop shop for insights, strategies and tools to help build, grow and manage your business. Now, in December, Prime Minister Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim made some major changes to his cabinet, including the appointment of EPF's CEO Dato Sri Ami Hamza Azizan as the second finance minister, promoting Stephen Sim from Deputy Finance Minister to Human Resources Minister, and bringing back Gobind Singh Dio into the cabinet to helm the newly formed Digital Ministry. With that in mind, on this edition of Resource Centre, we're speaking to organizational psychologist Hetel Doshi, CEO of OSYC, about what should go into management or leadership reorganization from a psychological perspective and how it should be done, taking into account the different needs of different individuals and ultimately the way it should be conducted. Hetel, welcome to the show. Can you hear me loud and clear? I can hear you loud and clear. Thank you so much for having me, Roshan. Uh, thank you for joining me on the line, Hetel. Always a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, uh, it is now Friday, so we are entering the first weekend of the new year. So looking forward to that. But before we get there, uh, let's talk a little bit about this, right? So maybe we can start off with, uh, from your perspective, with the work that you've done with other clients and what you specialize in. Uh, what are the key indicators that suggest maybe a team, an organization, or a management team may need a little bit of reorganization? Mm-hmm. I think before we get into reorganization, really from a from a business point of view, every organization probably starts off with a very clear purpose and a need to score goals. So it is precisely the moment where an organization feels like they are no longer able to score their goals that they are hoping to, that reorganization can become extremely valuable. So when this typically happens is when conditions either within themselves or outside begin to change. So say, for example, I used to be able to score goals, but somehow I can't anymore. And we call these conditional changes. These changes are happening either from within the organization or outside of the organization. This is really famous HR practitioner in 1950s or 1960s called Kurt Lewin. And he came up with this formula, which I like using. It's called B equals to a function of P dot E. So engineers would love this because now you can like, (laughs) You know, turn it into a formula, right? So it says basically the behavior is a function of the personal story of that business. So what is going on to the story of that particular business? So in the case of Malaysia or in politics, which I try and refrain having any conversations about, but the personal story is changing, right, over a period of time. Is the conditions of that personal story working in your favor or not working in your favor? And the second part would be behavior is a function of P.E, the environment. Is the environment working in your favor or not working in your favor? Ultimately, when it comes to scoring goals, is your personal story, the people within that story, as well as the environmental conditions, are they setting you up for success or are they pulling you away from it and potentially even sabotaging it? And so these are the major indicators that we look at. Obviously, there are technical versions to this as well, but I won't get into too much of details. Um, for those who are interested, ISO 45003 is a technical standard that measures the different types of risk factors. And they have at least about 20 different types of risk factors that you look at so that you're not going below the line that you want to be heading towards in order to be able to score those goals. 
You made an important point there where the goal is really important, right? And that how that starts, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of starts the ball rolling. So maybe you can discuss the importance of mapping out the destination for a team and how that factors into a reorganization and how to effectively communicate that, right? So in the case of Datasri Anwar, for example, when he's reshuffled his cabinet with a new cabinet, mm-hmm. it must be some kind of vision that hopefully is being expressed and communicated to his new mm-hmm. cabinet over here. So talk to us about in terms of other organizations, other businesses, when you do something as major as this, um, how do you communicate that vision appropriately? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is already one of the biggest stumbling blocks starts and probably even ends over here which is what is it that we're really, really doing and why are we doing it? So it kind of comes back to the old Spice Girls song, which, you know, I think anyone who meets me will know, I will keep repeating this over and over again. Tell me what you want and what you really, really want. And it goes on and on and on between two parties and it ends up with, I really, really want a zigzag. Ah, um, and I'd just like to share a story about a particular client that we're working with that took a very long time to get to their why or their what, whichever is more comfortable to, for some people. Some people can't get to the why, they get to a what. So for this particular organization, and recently, uh, Roshan, in the past at least two to three years, what I'm hearing a lot of is legacy-based reorganization. Why am I reorganizing? Why am I doing things differently? Because I want to create a new legacy. But what does that really mean? So this particular client took a very, very long period of time Original intent was to make more money. And then after that, it was to create a legacy for himself. Then eventually it went on to, I want all Malaysians to be able to make more money tomorrow than they made today. And to continue this for generations to come. And the moment he mentioned that, you could tell that every single person was on board because instead of even having to look at it as a reorganization, a restructuring, it was just a movement. And I think that, is the most powerful form of a reorganization when you're just feeling like as if you're moving in that direction because it's so clearly mapped out in terms of a destination. And how do you communicate it? I think if you can't communicate it within 15 words, then everybody's going to struggle because if you've ever done a Chinese whisper experiment, just the other day we were getting people to draw, you know, a kangaroo having an ice cream in Paris and they had to draw it out. But by the time we got to the 10th person, it was somebody having a hamburger in India. <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to destination, number one, it has to be something that is truly fitting of the soul. Number two, it has to be articulated in less than 15 words. And lastly, if you can draw what that looks like, that would be excellent as well. And in the theory of human behavior, we call it clarity, consistency, and also distinctiveness, which makes it very unique compared to anybody else. I'd like to follow up on the consistency part of that. You know, how often should they be engaging their employees on this this new vision, right? So, you know, sometimes it's a bit too much. You can over-communicate it, but at the same time, you want to be reminding people of this change in direction, this new North Star, or at least the recalibration of that North Star. Um, mm-hmm. What's too much? What's too little? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so, um, you know, there there are two parts to this. Number one, I think over-communication is critical, but over-communicating in a way that makes it very refreshing all the time. Mm. So, for example, we have a particular client whose vision is to be very progressive, solutions partner, enriching lives for sustainable future. Um, But this is such a powerful motto for me or vision for me that every time I hear it, it's like a prayer in the morning that I need to wake up to 
and be reminded because it is just so difficult to be progressive, to partner, to enrich, and to do things sustainably. I feel like this is a prayer and it's a very good mantra to have when you start a meeting, when you're in the middle of a meeting, at the end of a meeting. It's like all Muslims pray five times a day to be reminded of. But I think what is becoming a problem that I hear clients telling me is that, hey, oh my God, the number of town halls that we've had. Mm. We've had town halls after town halls and people have no clue. You know, after a few weeks, they're like, oh, what, huh? What are we supposed to do? We have no idea. So I think <laughs> the most important part in consistency is not what you tell the employees, but what they tell you back in return. Um, and asking them essentially to be the mouthpiece of like, hey, where are we going actually? What's our butterfly as as we call it in Osaka? What, what is the butterfly? And if they can repeat it and they can tell you and they can be reminded and they're the ones sharing it, then that's the measure of success of the entire clarity of the destination of where the organization is going. Hey, so we're going into a few messages. When we come back, we'll follow up with uh, some of the, I guess, how to balance between the need for change and the potential disruptions that come up with that uh, versus, you know, not breaking the wheel that's already working, not messing with a formula that already works, and as well mm-hmm. as how to retain top talent when a reorganization comes about, right? And the things to think about there. Folks have been speaking with organizational psychologist Hethel Doshi, CEO of OPsych. And you've been listening to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for strategies, tactics, and tools to better build, scale, and manage your business. I'm Roshan Kanisin. We'll be back in just a bit here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Become fabulous millionaires. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Resource Center. I'm Roshan Kanisan, and this morning I'm speaking with organizational psychologist Hetal Doshi, CEO of OSYC, and we're talking about what should go into a management or leadership reorganization and things that should be thought about when it's being conducted. Uh, and this is, of course, on the back of Dr. Sri Anwar Ibrahim's new cabinet, which was formed about a month back and we're taking a few cues from there. Hadel, earlier we talked about some of the key indicators and the importance of mapping out that destination and vision for the reorganization as well as the need for communication and what's too much and what's too little. Uh, now I'd like to move our focus towards that balance between, yes, you maybe you found a point where as a leader, as a manager, you're like, okay, we need to change things up uh, internally in this organization. But at the same time, you don't want to overly disrupt um, what's currently working. Give us some thoughts on that, you know, uh, some observations from other clients or what the theory tells us about the psychological nature of this. Hmm. Yeah, I think these words, right, like disruption and all, <laughs> um, it already triggers like every being of my, or every element of my nervous system. Um, and why that is the case is because obviously human beings want to be able to survive, right? That's like the main mission in life. It's forget about thriving as long as I survive. But when we start talking about disruption or even our placement, layoffs, whatever not, it brings about a huge, huge element of uncertainty that kicks off our amygdala, which is basically a threat response. And unfortunately, once our threat response kicks in, everything that we are doing is to prevent any misfortune rather than moving towards aspiration. So um, I'd just like to maybe share a little bit of an example of one of the best leaders that I've known of. We had an experience with a particular organization, you know, Japan Airlines in 2010. They were experiencing at that point in time was one of the largest bankruptcies outside of the financial industry in the entire world. They were suffering with debts of over 28 billion 
Singapore dollars, which was obviously massive. So at that point in time, you know, the question that you're asking is how do we balance moving forward with potential disruption? So what they did was they really looked at the best person for this job. And they looked left, right and center. And the person that they eventually took on was a 77-year-old retiree and ordained Buddhist monk, uh, whose name was Kazuo Inamori. And um, he had a very strong commercial experience in the past, but he was spending his days and months and years in the mountains. And so when he came down from the mountains back to the airline sector, and he was managing the entire transformation of Japan Airlines, because of his spiritual nature and the energy that he had, he was able to transform everyone in a very psychologically safe manner. And of course, there was a bit of outplacement that was going on, whatever not. But because his intent and his energy or his spirit was larger than life and made everybody feel very safe, um, he was able to transform the entire organization to being one of the most high profit uh, companies within just about two to three years. So what I'm really trying to say over here is I think the magic pill when it comes to very, very high levels of stress and change is an experience of psychological safety that makes people continue to be brave. And the people who do this the best are typically leaders with, I know this is a business channel, but very, very <laughs> strong spiritual energetic experience when you you know meet them. So for example, I had the experience with Tantri Manzu, who was the ex-Petronas CEO. Uh, in his presence, you just feel like you're completely safe. And whenever you ask people, you know, how would you describe him? And everybody would say, he is the finest gentleman in Malaysia. Um, so just being in the presence of very, very great leaders prevents that feeling that you're being completely disrupted. But at the same time, you feel completely energized to do things in a way that has never been conjured up in anybody's mind in the past. Hazel, you mentioned a very important term there, psychological safety. Could mm -hmm. you uh, elaborate on that a little bit, please, in terms of what this entails and how can we better achieve this uh, in the workplace? Yeah. So psychological safety, I think the new concept hasn't been given birth to, but the correct terminology should be psychosocial safety. Mm. Psychological safety means that basically, um, you know, the ability for you to take risks interpersonally. So the ability for you to say what you want to say, do what you want to do in a relationship without a fear of consequence. Unfortunately, the world is split into two types of people, if I can do this very simply. The ones who feel safe anytime, anywhere, can say, can do whatever they want. But unfortunately, when they do that, they might feel psychologically safe, but the person receiving it might feel psychologically in danger. So the correct word should be psychosocial, meaning whatever I say increases your ability to feel safe and brave with me as well. Not just shoks and diri, I feel safe and I feel brave. And the outcome of it would be team experiences where everybody feels safe and not just safe, but safe enough to feel very brave to do things quite radically differently and the two companies that are doing it extremely well right now are SpaceX and Google, where they continuously do studies on high-performing teams and what separates them from low-performing teams. High-performing teams only have one thing that is different, which is team members feel safe enough to be brave enough with each other on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Now, following up on that, maybe talk to us a little bit about when a company, you know, reorganizes, there is uh, a lot of times redistribution of roles and responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are some things that management managers and leaders should be keeping in mind in order to maintain employee wellness and that psychosocial safety to maintain that morale, right? What should people be keeping in mind? Right. I think this, this is this is such a relevant question for 2024, even 2023, obviously. Um, and companies do want to, you know, figure out how to scale this experience of psychosocial safety across organizations. So this is very relevant, even if there's no reorg. So one of the things that we emphasize on a lot is this concept called the butterfly effect. So it's like a caterpillar going through all of the drama in a cocoon where it spends the longest period of time and then eventually, 95% of them will die. Only 5%, unfortunately, it sounds, sounds like such a horror, horror story. 5% emerge, transform, and move towards the butterfly. So whenever we speak with organizations for psychosocial safety, step number one, what is the butterfly? And a lot of them will say, all right, the butterfly is we want more money or we want to take on new markets. But they never, ever write down in their KPIs. And I'm sure, Roshan, even in your KPI, <laughs> it produce shows, but it never, it never tells you how, you know, what is the experience that you want to have as you produce the show. So it could be like, hey, Roshan, for 2024, you need to produce 150 shows um, enthusiastically or joyfully or safely or bravely. I'm not sure. Um, So a lot of the companies that we're working with right now, we tell them not only to have a goal, but also write down the experience that they want to create and have as they achieve these goals. And once they put that in, so for example, a particular client put in, all right, we want to be able to achieve this, but we want to do it in an enriching manner. So once we start constantly talking about the goal, which is doing everything X, Y, Z in an enriching manner, we ask everyone Uh, to go through an assessment, it's just seven items, to figure out how safe they make each other feel in order to achieve those goals. So in those seven items, companies can then be able to figure out which elements of risk are people going through. Uh, Is it the risk of not being able to ask for help? Is it the risk of um, that people will sabotage them if they make a mistake? Is it the risk that they cannot make a, a mistake? So there are seven elements of fear that people would have. And we then begin to have conversations with teams or get teams to have conversations about how they can reduce this fear and increase their bravery as well. All of this being done in a data-driven manner. So for the first time, people can actually have a data-driven manner of like, say, for example, if I ask Roshan, Roshan, what is your biggest fear? What are you afraid of when it comes to speaking up and being able to outperform in a team Uh, For the first time, people can pinpoint what is their big fear. Is it a fear of failure? Is it a fear of rejection? Is it the fear of making mistakes? And they also are able to look at the intensity and the pervasiveness. So how high is their level of fear? And is that level of fear only with the bosses or is it with peers or is it even within themselves? And once individuals get data, they can benchmark themselves. So everything through an app, they can benchmark themselves and companies then can intervene do it either for individuals, teams, or leaders, and over a period of time, track and measure and make sure that everybody's moving to higher and higher levels of safety, which actually actually allows us to have a lot more wisdom rather than just, uh, we're just feeling safe. This is a point of wisdom and aspiration. So we try to do this in just a couple of words. We do this in as much as possible, a very clear goal that we have with the right energy and a data-driven manner to seeing what is that level of energy and fear that we have right now. 
Um, so, Hithal, just following up on that then, talk to us a little bit about the common pitfalls or mistakes that can happen, whether in a reorganization or not, that could be detrimental to things like that psychosocial safety that you were talking about. Right. So just coming back to the context of this entire podcast, which mm. was all about what was going on in the political landscape, but also bringing it back to organizations and even families, mm-hmm. the biggest concern or the pitfall is that just because we cannot see energy or see emotions or see fear, uh, which is really the biggest stumbling block in being able to achieve whatever it is that we want to achieve, just because we cannot see it, then therefore we forget to document it as if it is something that is also a very important part that we need to work on from a process perspective, but also from a goal perspective. So say, for example, I don't think any organization has a goal that says reduce fear or anxiety in the organization from 80% to 70% during this period of time. No organization has something like that. Mm. And so because psychosocial safety is a feeling of whether or not I feel safe enough and brave enough in a moment to be able to say what it is so that we can progress at accelerated pace, but we are not actually making it this invisible force. We are not making it visible and this visibility is data driven and that that becomes a huge issue. What would be, I guess, the best proxies then to kind of help measure that, right? Because that's something that we've been touching on for a little bit, that data-driven element. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's really, really simple. Like, for example, one of the things that we try to do for an organization, now we're doing it across the board, is just to have an app that very simply someone can go in and um, how safe they feel. Uh, within their own teams, and they can get their results. It's beneficial. They can get an understanding of what psychological safety means personally. So it shouldn't be on the organization to be able to resolve it. It should be at three levels. It should be what individuals can do. They should get their own scores, their own reports on their levels of psych safety. The second thing would be for teams to come together and talk about their levels of psych safety and what they can do better. So that's the second level of intervention. And the third thing would be not what the leaders can do, but what all of you uh, would like to share. And what we use is a love letter. Uh, So write a love note or note (laughs) to your leaders telling them exactly what you need from them so that you feel safe enough to be brave enough as well. We call this the three levels of intervention to penetrate out of the cocoon and into the butterfly. That's the main goal for us not to stay stuck in that cocoon for too long. Hey, Till, we've got to go into a few messages. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more on the key strategies for retaining and motivating key talent during periods of organizational change. Uh, folks, I've been speaking with organizational psychologist Hetal Doshi, CEO of Psych, and you've been listening to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for strategies, tactics, and tools to better build, scale, and manage your business. I'm Roshan Karnison. We'll be back in just a few minutes, so keep it here at BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Blues, folk, metal. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for insights, strategies, and tools to help build, grow, and manage your business. This morning, I'm speaking with organizational psychologist Hetal Doshi, CEO of Psych, and we've been talking about what should go into a management or leadership reorganization, or at least the factors that should be taken into account when it comes to employees in terms of the transition. And we're talking about this on the back of the 
cabinet reshuffle we saw a month ago, using that as a jumping off point to get into this conversation. Um, Hethel, earlier we've gotten into key indicators. We've talked about psychosocial safety and how that should be a factor uh, in a reorganization or just in general when it comes to employee wellness. Now, some of the big things that can come about in a reorganization, so leaders have been moved around, maybe you have a new boss now, there could be some um, some people who are happy, unhappy about it. So get into the, mm-hmm. I guess, the strategies for retaining and motivating key talent during these kinds of periods. Because again, you've put new people in charge here. Not all the employees may be happy with that. How should we be thinking about that? Right. Um, I, I'll take it from not an organizational perspective. I'll take it from a team perspective. Mm. Because unfortunately, no organization can retain or motivate all of their talent, but I think the best way to do it is teams. Um, So we call it one organization doesn't have one dream. It is many teams in the organization that have many different dreams uh, of being able to get there. So, you know, when it comes to a big organization or reshuffling, the level of distrust increases, the level of uncertainty increases, the level of fear increases and anxiety increases as well. So one of the things that is the, the easiest, the quickest, fastest method that we have found would be something called a get to know your leader or get to know your team session. So um, before we want to motivate anyone, um, I think what we can all agree is that if we do not have Wi-Fi, if we do not have connection, we can never get our job done, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Wi-Fi and connection has become such an important part of our lives that we have turned around Maslow's hierarchy of needs saying that we don't even need food, we don't need water, but we need Wi-Fi as our main function or functionality of a human being. So when teams are moving in a reorganization or they're moving about, the first thing that we try to do is forget about motivation. Let's get connection at the highest level. And so a very simple tool or technique would be just to share in seven minutes, what is the story of your life that you think is very defining about who you are as a person Um, that you'd like to share with the people around you and vice versa. And we find that the more people know information or have information about the stories of their leaders or their peers and whatnot, the more information that I have about who you really are, the less I have to figure out whether or not I can trust you. And it also reduces or it puts in a rumor control mechanism, which means it prevents rumors from beginning to take place. Mm. And I love that the most. Nobody's going at the particular wondering, can I trust this person or not? Uh, The rumors are controlled. And more importantly, um, there is this faith and connection that I buy into your story. And this is really where the mirror neurons begin to kick in because at the fundamental level, all human beings can relate to each other's pain and stories and triumphs and failure and whatever not. And once we connect at that level, the top three things to consider in motivation, apart from extrinsic or intrinsic, which is internal to you or external to you, um, the three categories of people in an organization, one, those who come into work as a job, the other one who comes into work as a career, and the third one that comes in as if their work is their calling. So for these three categories of people, either a job, a career, a calling, the way to motivate them would be very uniquely different. But the outcome of how you motivate them would be when they say that it is worth it. And so we use something called the worth it equation. At the end of the day, whatever we do 
is it equal to a higher level of a worth it equation for them to want to do X amount of effort? Um, does it bring in X amount of rewards for them? Now, the a big point you made there, Hetal, was that you know leaders should essentially kind of humanize themselves and their stories with the people that they are leading. Um, and th- as you were talking about that, um, the idea of authenticity came to me, right? Because um, yes, I like hearing what my leaders have to say and getting to know them. But there's a difference, I guess, between getting to know them and their stories versus um, let's call it quote unquote propaganda and advertising, right? Like you know, so how should leaders be thinking about the ways they go about it? Yeah. So I think there's two things here. And it's a really good point that you brought up, uh, Roshan. On one hand, once you share your stories, um, yeah, people like, thanks, it's really great to know you. So we call that element character. So can we connect to the character of the person? But ultimately, it's the competence of the person to be able to score the goal. So the first part is the likability and the connection. The second part is the competence. So if you're not able to score the goals that you have set out to score, with the level of um, alignment to the story that you have shared, uh, you're never going to be able to win any war because uh, you know war is something that is met with a lot of alignment with the internal and the external worlds. Um, yeah, so we call that basically your character is the first thing that we can connect to or we can't connect to. And the second part would be if we can connect to that, then what is your level of competence that you're able to bring into that table? Um, and the best thing for most organizations to do, and I think we've we started working with one that is really, really good at being able to show all the things that they're doing really well in a very data-driven manner, and also with a lot of transparency and a lot of help and feedback as well. To wrap up this conversation, uh, Hetal, yeah. um, I guess you know ultimately we've been talking about uh, you know, organizations reorganizing themselves. So, in your view, uh, what measures? should organizations be looking at in order to determine the success of their reorganization efforts? You know, what kind of metrics should be used or are most useful uh, in this regard? Mm. Yeah, um, we've got outside-in approach with the five piece. You've got the planet. So are you doing good for outside of your organization and uh, for the world beyond you? Uh, we've also got profit because if you've got no money, you're not in business got people, are the people within the organization uh, engaged and are they thriving? They've got the processes, which are things that are set in place uh, to systemize the entire organization so that it's sustainable. And lastly would be also the patrons, which is the customers and the NPS scores around that to see whether or not they are ultimately um, looking at you as an organization of interest to them as well. Uh, So these are typically the five uh, measurements of success for most organizations. Um, Hetal, on that note, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking to you on the line today. Thank you so much, Roshan. I hope that's been uh, helpful for everyone listening in. Uh, folks, that was organizational psychologist Hetal Doshi, CEO of Opsych, talking to us about organizational reorganization from a psychological perspective, uh, the what, why, and how. And you've been listening to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for strategies, tactics, and tools to better build, scale, and manage your business. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast players. Just search for Resource Center. I'm Roshan Kinnison. This has been Resource Center. Up next is Enterprise Explores. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. 
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.